believers, and he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who um, oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has um, been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, in, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rick. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Mark. If we haven't met, I'm on the staff team here at Trinity Bay, and my main role is looking after the 6 p.m. service we have, which meets just in the community centre hall behind us here. In 2001, a guy called Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And in that book, he examined several companies that had experienced huge financial growth over a certain period of time. And he found that there were two characteristics that the leaders of all of these companies shared. Now, the first one won't surprise you too much. It was a determination to succeed. The second one, though, is a bit more surprising. Humility 
the most successful leaders were humble people. Now, Collins admitted that he was shocked by this. It seems to go right against the, the common perception of what effective leadership looks like. What it shows is that humility is more than just a virtue. There's real tangible value in it. It brings people together and it brings out the best in people. And this passage that we're looking at today, which Rick just read, shows us both the virtue and the value of humility. It shows us that humility is invaluable in strengthening our unity in the gospel. And just on a side note, if you ever find yourself in a position where you have to prepare a sermon on the topic of humility, doing it the week after your team's lost a grand final by eight goals is a fantastic time to do it. Really, really puts you in the headspace for it. Right, I've got that out of my system now. Uh, last week, for those of you who are here, Jeff Keane preached on the middle section of Philippians 1, so I think verses 12 to 26, and that was where Paul was really able to put his, his imprisonment and his sufferings in perspective and to be able to say, despite all of this, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. And Paul continues on in verse 27, asking the Philippians to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and to strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. So unity in the gospel. And unity is needed because living for the gospel won't always be easy. People are opposing them, we see in verse 28. Verse 29, he says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. Following Jesus won't always be easy. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, and the Philippian Christians were clearly facing opposition as well for their faith. Now, Paul doesn't go into detail explaining why it's been granted to them to suffer. He just tells them that that's the reality. And it's the same for us today. We're going to face a different sort of opposition to what the Philippians did. But living life openly as a follower of Jesus is going to attract some opposition along the way. But a united Christian community makes that opposition so much easier to face for the Philippians then and for us today. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Is that how you think about church? It's almost military-style language that Paul was using here, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel is a gift from God to help us to stand firm together. Now, you may have found yourself at some point as being the only Christian in the workplace, perhaps the only Christian in the friendship group, uh, perhaps the only Christian in a, a conversation that's turned pretty heatedly against Christianity. And it's then that you realise how important it is to be part of a united church community, to have that solid support in the gospel. A united church family is so much more than just a, a nice, feel-good thing to have. It's a way that we can help each other to stand firm. When we come to church each Sunday or to, to growth group during the week, 
we're doing more than just getting our spiritual top up for the week. We're coming together as a family, wanting to support and encourage each other in our faith. Paul wants the Philippian church to have strong unity. And the foundation of strong unity, he tells them, is humility. In uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, he's saying to them, if you've benefited from being a Christian or experiencing Christian fellowship, if it's brought you encouragement or comfort, if you have love and compassion for, for those people around you, then make my joy complete by growing in your unity, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind together. Now, that doesn't mean always agreeing with each other on everything, but being united in living for God. The point he then makes in verses 3 and 4 is that unity will be diminished by pride and selfishness, but strengthened by humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Pride is when I think too highly of myself or when I want others to think more highly of me. And because it's so me-focused, it breeds selfishness. Selfish ambition, vain conceits, looking only to your own interests, these are all marks of pride. And humility, of course, is the opposite. It's when we're willing to lower ourselves for the good of others, to put their interests ahead of ours. And I think these are quite challenging words to read. It really, really begs the question of each of us. Do I value others above myself? Do I put their interests ahead of mine? I think I can certainly look back in my life and see that there are times where I have done that, but also there are times where I've really failed badly to do that. And by nature, we're proud and selfish people. It's part of the effect that sin has on each of us. I was having a bit of a think about some of the ways that pride plays out in my life. And yeah, it's certainly, I was going to say it was humbling, but that's probably the wrong word. It was, it was sobering thinking about some of the ways. Like one, of the, one of the examples is that I really don't like losing. It's one of my reflections that I've had. I don't have to win at everything, but I just really hate the feeling of losing. I turned 28 years old in January this year. I remember nothing about my 28th birthday. But I have clear memories of my 8th birthday. I had a bowling birthday party where I went bowling with maybe six or seven of my friends. And, you know, we had a bit of fun. I lost the first game, which was kind of bad. And... I hadn't realised this, but my parents had organised that they'd bring this wooden spoon along, and they did this big wooden spoon presentation at the end to me for finishing last. So all my friends were laughing at me. The other people at the bowling centre could see it happening as well, and they were laughing at me. Um, Yeah, thanks. I needed to just tell people about that. It was stupid as well. We actually played two games of bowling. I remember this, and I, I think I've finished second in the second game, and another guy rolled 32, so he lost overall. But anyway, I'm going into too many details. The point is, that was 20 years ago, and I still remember how bad that felt. 
Another example, this is one that the men will probably relate to a little bit more. I know nothing about cars. Like I can drive a car, I can change a tire, and that's probably getting to about the end of my expertise. So if someone's having trouble starting their car, I am useless in that situation. The, and so if, in that, when that situation happens, basically I've got two options. So option one, I'm going to call this the humble option, is to say, look, I'm sorry, I have no idea what's going on, but I do have the RAA's number on my phone, so I'll call them up and we'll get this sorted. That's option one. Second option is what I call the male pride option, which is to say, all right, look, I'll, um, I'll get you to pop the hood and I'll, I'll have a bit of a look under the bonnet. And you get them to pop the hood and you look under the bonnet and you put your finger on your thumb and you look like you know what you're talking about for a few minutes and then you say, no, I, I can't, I've got no idea about this. That's the second option. And I've got to say, as a man, it is a lot easier to take the second option rather than the first one. There's probably an equivalent female pride option, but I don't feel like I'm the person to <laughs> go into that. Even preaching this sermon, like, I would love everyone to go away from here thinking, that was the best sermon on the topic of humility that I have ever heard. <laughs> I've got to go and listen to that again. And on a more serious note, I've, one of my things I struggle with is impatience, which when you boil it down to it, impatience is really just proudly feeling entitled to have things go my way, feel entitled to not have traffic in front of me holding me up. I feel entitled to not have this annoying person talking to me. It just it boils down to pride. All right, so I've poured my heart out a little bit there. Some of those you'll relate to, some of them you won't. And even though not all of those feel might seem particularly serious, and you know, some of them are funny just because of how ridiculous they are, the same problem lies behind each one of those. A proud heart. What are some of the, the subtle ways that you see pride playing out in your life? Or maybe the more obvious ways. Maybe you've had relationships that have been damaged by someone's pride. And if that's the case, then you understand the point that Paul is making here about pride. Pride causes us to exalt ourselves and depend on ourselves. And so in that sense, it leads us away from God. And because it centers us on ourselves, it turns our focus away from other people. So it leads us away from God and it turns our focus away from other people. And for both of those reasons, it hurts our unity as God's people. Now imagine for a moment, I realize this is a bit of an extreme example, but just imagine a church where people are only looking out for themselves. Visitors wouldn't get welcomed. No one would want to serve. Uh, people would only be talking to you if there was something in it for them. Now it wouldn't be a community that was standing firm in the gospel together. I haven't been to a church like this. I have experienced the indoor soccer equivalent of it, which I realize is a little bit different, but same kind of principles. I was playing in an indoor soccer comp where we got randomly allocated to teams each week. And one week, the team I got put on was, it was a six-a-side team, and the other five guys all knew each other. And so they quickly nominated me as the goalkeeper. 
And the reason for that became pretty obvious, that all of them were just interested in scoring goals. They weren't interested in passing the ball to their teammates or anything like that. Whenever one of them would get the ball, they'd just try and get around all the opposition players to score the goal, or they'd try and take a shot from an impossible situation. Their teammates would all be yelling at them, swearing at them to pass the ball to them so that they could kick the goal instead. And inevitably, they'd get the ball taken off them. The opposition players would run the ball down to their goals. None of our players would bother to chase because they weren't interested in chasing. And, you know, I'm not a great goalkeeper, so they'd, they'd get the goal most of the time. There was no humility on that team. And because there was no humility, there was no unity. And because there was no unity, we didn't stand firm. I think we lost 6-0 in a seven-minute game, which is... That is not standing firm. And it's, it's different, but it's the same principle for church. Where there's no humility, there'll be no unity. And where there's no unity, we won't stand firm. All right, so that's the negative side. Now, imagine a church where people are selfless, humble, looking out for each other's interests. It's a much nicer picture. Now, I'm definitely not saying that we're the perfect united church, but Trinity Bay happens each week because a lot of people serve in ways that don't get noticed or that require a lot of effort. Some of you are here today because you were welcomed when you first visited. And some of you are followers of Jesus because someone else took the time to explain to you what it means to follow Jesus. The health of our church is affected by the humility of each one of us. Our willingness to put each other's interests ahead of our own. And we should be constantly trying to raise the bar in doing that. Coming along to church each week, wanting to serve each other. To help each other to stand firm in the faith. The way that we welcome visitors, the way that we talk to people who are sitting on, our, on their own and encourage each other has a bigger impact than I think we realise sometimes. Now, this is, a, this is a bit of a personal one for me, actually. I remember when I was 19 years old, um, I'd grown up going to a church that didn't really teach the Bible particularly well, and I went along to a new church. And I, I was really at crossroads in my faith, like really deciding... Is this something I really want to, want to keep doing? So I went along to this church. I sat there. I heard the sermon. Just sat on my own because I didn't know anyone. And I was about to leave at the end. And a guy called Ben came up to me and introduced himself. Got to know me a little bit. Introduced me to a few other people. Uh, got to know a few people my own age, which was cool. And that was enough to make me come back the next week. Just knowing that... I knew a couple of people there. There were a couple of faces I could recognise. So I came back the next week, and the week after that, got to make some Christian friends and really grew a lot in my faith in my time there. And it makes me think, what would have happened if Ben had just been chatting with his friends, if he'd looked and seen me on my own, but then decided to keep chatting with his friends? Would I have gone back the next week? Who knows? Would I still be going to church? I don't know. I'm just thankful he did. I was really encouraged. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting just over here, and there was a family of, I think, five or six that were a couple of rows in front of me. I'd never met them before, never seen them before. 
And I was thinking to myself, when the kids go out, I'll try and go over there and introduce myself. I was sitting two rows behind them. So the kids went out, and in, in the time that it took me to walk two rows to get to them, every single one of them was already chatting to someone else here. So other people from church had gone up and seen them, seen new people, and gone and chatted to them. Which, yeah, I was really encouraged to see that. That's really what we want to be on about. Being at church regularly as well is another way that we can humbly serve each other. By making church and small group a priority each week, we're showing each other that we value them. And I think for all of us, it's a great encouragement to come here each week and to to see each other making the commitment to be here. Now, there are some days where those things just aren't going to happen. Maybe you're going through a difficult time, you've had a bad week, you've had no sleep the night before. One of those days where just making it to church is an achievement. Those weeks are going to happen, and it's not selfish ambition or vain conceit to contribute less on those weeks. And that's the nature of a united church family. Some weeks, you'll be the one who's able to put your interests on on hold for the good of others. And other weeks, you'll need someone to do that for you. Humility makes all the difference to our unity as a family here at the Bay. From verse 5, Paul shows that Jesus is our ultimate example of humility. Having the same mindset as Jesus will spur us on to be more humble. In verses 6 to 8, Paul outlines what Jesus gave up for our sake. Even though he was, in his very nature, God, Jesus emptied himself, made himself nothing. He came to earth as a man, or as a newborn baby, which in itself was an incredible humbling, God coming down as man. And he came as a humble servant, There was nothing luxurious about his life here on earth. There was nobody that he was too too proud to associate with. And he humbled himself even as far as dying. And not just dying any death, but dying the most shameful death that was possible at that time. He came to earth from the highest place and ended up in the lowest place. And when we understand the the culture at that time, we can see just how unusual this humility was. Now, humility might be well regarded today, but it wasn't back in those days. To lower yourself before an equal or an inferior was unheard of. What Jesus did redefined greatness. It was proof that greatness can express itself in humility. The greatest man ever chose to lower himself for the good of others. Jesus' death, though, was much more than just a lesson in humility. It was God's way of reconciling us to him. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus explains to his disciples what true greatness looks like. Verses 43 to 45, he says... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. I've been watching, getting into the TV show Burn Notice lately. I've been going through the first few seasons of that. And every second or third episode, some rich person's wife or daughter gets kidnapped and the kidnappers demand a ransom for the person to be returned. And in a sense, we're captive to our own sin. And what we see here is that Jesus' death paid our ransom. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He died to take our sin on himself. All the things that we've said, thought, or done that are displeasing to God so that we don't have to bear the punishment for it ourselves, so that we can come back into a right relationship with God. Which means that if you've put your hope in Jesus as your only hope of being saved, if you've made the decision to follow him, then your debt is paid. Your ransom is settled. Everything that God could hold against you has been taken by Jesus instead. Jesus is our humble example and our exalted king. Verses 9 to 11 After his death, where he proved his worthiness beyond any doubt, God raised him to life and exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should acknowledge him as Lord. Jesus didn't simply die a humble, heroic death. He's our living, reigning king a king worthy of our full praise and worship, a king who we'll get to see and worship face to face when we're raised to life just as he was. The gospel message is that we're reconciled to God by Jesus' death and by his resurrection we're assured of eternal life if we've put our trust in him as our Lord and Saviour. This is the gospel that Paul is calling us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of. This is the gospel that we're to humbly support each other in. And the gospel, by its nature, should humble us. Because it shows us that on our own, we're not good enough. We fall short of where we need to be to please God. But it should also fill us with great joy, knowing how loved we are knowing that if our trust is in Jesus, we truly are safe in God's arms. It's not all up to us to be good enough. So Jesus, in his humility, showed us what true greatness looks like, lovingly lowering himself for the good of others. It's the attitude that he called his disciples to have. It's the attitude that Paul reminded the Philippians that they needed to have. And it's the attitude that we're to live with as followers of Jesus today. Humility is important in our Christian fellowship, and it's central to our walk with God as a whole. In verse 12, Paul asks the Philippians to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to live with a healthy fear of God as we seek to live for his glory knowing that we're saved through Jesus.
In verse 13, it's God who works in us to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God fulfills his purposes through us. We don't go out, get stuff done, and then report back to him. He's working through us the whole time, aligning our will with his, powerfully using us. Now, there's humility that comes with that, but there's also, I think, a great comfort. I did a ministry apprenticeship a couple of years ago. I did it at the same time that um, Jamie Seafang, who many of you will know, was doing it. There's another guy that was doing it at the same time, a guy called Jack, who was going to a church up north where he was doing his traineeship. The minister up there was a, a fairly straight-talking country guy called Rick, and Rick had this motto that he would always say to Jack. He'd always tell him, Jack, God works through you and despite you. And basically what he was saying there is that we can't get too proud, we can't get overly proud and arrogant about the things that we do because it's God who gives us the strength and ability to do those things. But at the same time, we can't get too down about the things that we mess up because God is equally at work through those and able to bring good through those situations. And so that was his motto that was applicable for any situation, really. If Jack did something good, Rick would be right there saying, through you and despite you, Jack, through you and despite you. And if Jack messed something up, exactly the same thing. Through you and despite you, Jack. Through you and despite you. I think there's an appropriate balance of humility and comfort that comes with that. There's a constant battle within each one of us. Pride and humility jostling for control over us. Every time we give in to pride, whether that's in our thoughts, our words, or our actions, We feed it. We strengthen its hold on us. And every time we humble ourselves, every time we act in a selfless way to others, we're strengthening our humility. We need to plan every day to weaken our pride and to strengthen our humility. So how does pride occur in your life? When are the times that you find yourself giving in to pride? whether it's the little thoughts that seem insignificant or the big moments when pride really gets a firm grip on you? What steps can you take this week to starve your pride and to feed your humility? How can you put your own interests aside this week, this month, this year for the good of others to further our unity in the gospel? Maybe you could make it your aim each week to talk to someone at church who you've never talked to before, to get to know them a bit. Maybe you could invite people from church around to your place for lunch afterwards. Maybe you can think of an area in your life where you know that you're wrongly thinking more highly of yourself than others, and you know that that needs to be corrected. We need to be united together in the gospel, to help each other to stand firm through the highs and lows of life. And for that to happen, we need to be humble, putting our own interests aside for the good of each other. Humility begins by looking to Jesus, who made himself nothing 
and died in our place. Jesus, whose name is above all names, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess as Lord. His humility will help us to stand firm in the gospel for his salvation. Have a pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you so much for this gospel. We, um, we know that it humbles us to, to stand before you, to know that by Jesus' death we are saved. We are brought into a right relationship with you. We pray that it would humble us each day that we think about it, that we, when we remember that Jesus came down as a man. And please may it spur us on to humbly serve those around us to be willing to put our own interests aside to bless each other. We pray that as we do that together, that you'd be using that to to grow our unity as a church, to help each other to stand firm in the gospel as we look forward to that day when we'll get to praise you with everyone else. In Jesus' name, amen.